This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Welcome to our second part of the Mashiach. As I mentioned last week, we went through a lot of the prophecies regarding Mashiach in the, in the Tanakh and the Torah and the prophets. And I just want to just repeat a few things that we do every day. One of them is to say the 13 principles of faith, the Rambam's 13 principles of faith. It's part of the prayers, at the end of the prayers, if you look at the end of Shacharit, you'll find a section over there, 30 principles of faith, Ashkenazim have six principles of faith. And one of the principles of faith is we believe with perfect faith in the coming of the Messiah. We believe in the Mashiach, the coming of the Mashiach. Mashiach is going to come. It's one of the 30 principles of faith of Judaism. We believe that it's a very fundamental idea. We said it's the idea of being optimistic, living our lives with optimism. Despite all the pogroms and the persecutions, things eventually will get better. And things eventually, we'll see in our own days, things will eventually lead to the final tikkun, where the perfection of the world. So Mashiach represents the perfection of the world, the world be perfected. We have all the prophecies in Isaiah, which is prophecies on the Isaiah wall. We talked about last week, that no nation will lift up sword on nation. They'll beat their swords into plowshares. Uh, the lion will live with the lamb, and the wolf will live with the lamb, and there won't be any wars anymore. So we talked about that last week. Um, we also know that the idea of a Mashiach, Mashiach literally means anointed one. In those days, the way of anointing the high priest was with oil, and the way of anointing the kings was also with oil. So that's where the word Mashiach came from, the anointed one. And the rabbis tell us the anointed one will be descendant of King David. King David was the anointed one. So the descendants of the anointed one are also uh, seem to be anointed as well. In other words, they have the right to be kings even without being officially anointed because they are descendants of anointed ones. So this is something which is a fundamental belief of the Jewish uh, belief system. And it's interesting because the Talmud gives a lot of different names. The Babylon brings down four names of Mashiach. Number one is Shiloh, Menachem, Shiloh, Yindon, and Hananiah. Menachem, Shiloh, Yindon, and Hananiah. It's interesting because the first letters of these names, Menachem is Mem, uh, Hananiah is Chet, Yud is Yinon, and Shin is Shiloh. All these letters make up the word Mashiach itself. So the four names, Menachem, Yinon, uh, and uh, Menachem, uh, Menachem Shiloh, Inon, and Hananiah make up the word Mashiach. The first letters of these names make up the word Mashiach. That's the Abarbanel. And there's one more name which the rabbis talk about, uh, apart from these four, and that is uh, Tzemach. And that's what we say in our, in our daily prayers. Et Tzemach, David, Abicha, Mirat, Tzemach literally means a plant, the plant of King David. So. The Mashiach is referred to a plant of King David, and that's the, the word Semach. So there's a fifth name, Semach. Um, I know I know someone in England, someone in London, who actually gave all his sons different names of Mashiach. So he has all these different names. He had, a, he had quite a few sons, Baruch Hashem, and he named them one after the other. So I don't think uh, sons are the Mashiach because nothing's happened so far. This is, this is about 50 years ago. So nothing's happened so far. Okay. So we are discussing Mashiach, second, second in our series, and we cannot leave this topic without discussing the prophecy of Daniel. 
I want to go straight away to the prophecy of Daniel. This is in the book of Daniel, in chapter 7 of the book of Jan. Daniel starts from right at the beginning of chapter 7 of the book of Daniel. And this is Daniel's amazing, amazing prophecy that he got in Babylon. The rabbis say that there is no prophecy outside Israel. The only prophecy that was outside Israel was Moshe Rabbeinu because it was to do with Israel, to do with the coming into Israel. A prophecy has to do with Israel. So, for example, also Abraham, Abraham Avinu, when he gets prophecy, it's on the way to Israel, Lech Lechai. He gets the prophecy on the way to Israel. And so prophecy is directly related to the land of Israel. Uh, Daniel was born in Israel and that the prophecy started in Israel. That's what the Talmud says. Any prophecy that started in Israel can continue outside Israel. So Yechezkel, Ezekiel, Daniel, the prophecy started in Israel and they continued outside Israel. Anyway, this is the book of Daniel. It's a, a very interesting book. It's written, actually written in Aramaic, not in Hebrew, because Aramaic was the spoken language of the Jews in Babylon and the spoken language of the Babylonians. So the Aramaic became very fundamental when the Jews moved to Babylon. They started speaking Aramaic. And therefore, the book of Daniel is one of the few books of Tanakh, of the 24 books of the Tanakh, Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, which are written in Aramaic. It's one of the few books written in Aramaic. We know that our Torah was also translated into Aramaic, called by uh, the famous convert, uh, Roman convert, Onkelus, or Kulas. And in some synagogues, in Yemenite synagogues, their tradition is to read every Shabbat one verse in Hebrew and one verse in Aramaic. Because in those days, Lots of Jews never spoke any Hebrew. They spoke Aramaic because most of the Jews were in the Babylonian exile and most of them never came back to Israel. So it's interesting. The spoken language of the day among the majority of Jews in the world was Aramaic. And therefore, the book of Daniel was written in Aramaic in the exile in Babylon. And in the seventh chapter, very makes a very interesting reading. And it's pretty scary. It makes pretty scary reading. It goes through the different exiles of the Jewish people. So he says, he tells us, in the first year of the king Belshazzar, Melech Bavel. So Belshazzar was the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was the king of Babylon who was involved in the destruction of the first temple and the first exile. He exiled the Jews from Jerusalem, from Israel into Babylon. And uh, his grandson was Belshazzar. And this prophecy was given to Daniel in the first year of Belshazzar's reign. And he says, I had a dream, and I see on my bed, I see, in my, when I'm lying down on my bed, I see these things. And uh, what did he see? So here we have a very beautiful prophecy, amazing prophecy. He said, I saw in my vision at night. Behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Now this great sea, we don't know, was the Mediterranean, or was it the Atlantic? There's two different opinions in the Talmud. What is the Great Sea? So at the beginning, the Great Sea was, before they knew about the Atlantic, the Great Sea was the Mediterranean. Later on, when they found out about the Atlantic, the Mediterranean is tiny comparatively, and therefore the Great Sea became the Atlantic. So he said, I saw the four winds of heaven were stirring up the Great Sea. And what happens? Four immense beasts came up from the sea. It's pretty scary to see this as a dream. Four immense beasts coming out of the sea. And each one was different from the other. The first was like a lion. It has eagle wings. So it's like a lion. And it had eagle wings. I'm going to go through very quickly with you. 
the commentary of the Mitzudat David on these verses. And he tells us this first beast was the beast of Babylon. It was a, it was a symbol of Babylon, of Babel, which is where uh, Daniel was at that time in Babylon, dreaming about this first beast, which was a representation of Babylon. And it's amazing, scary prophecy, uh, which ends in a very good note. It ends with a Mashiach, which we're going to talk about. But these four beasts, the first beast was a massive beast. And uh, it was like a lion and it had eagle's wings. It's interesting because if you look at these, uh, all the uh, great Im images in the British Museum of the Babylonians, the Babylonians themselves made images and they represented themselves as lions with human faces with, with eagle wings attached to the lion. It's interesting how this is the vision in the vision of, his, of Daniel. The first beast was like a lion with wings. And he tells us, he says, I was watching as its wings were plucked and it was removed from the earth and stood upon two feet like a man and was given a human heart. So Mitzurah David explains, it was given a human form because its fierceness was removed from it. In other words, Babylon lost its fierceness and instead of being like a lion, it became like a mouse, the proverbial mouse, or at least like a human being. So it lost its wings, it lost its uh, fierce demeanor, and it stopped acting like a lion and became like a mouse, like a human being, a timid human being. And then behold, another beast. The second one arose similar to a bear. Wow. It was placed on one side and there, were, there was meat in its mouth between its teeth. Now this is interesting because the Gemara says that the Persians love to eat meat. It says uh, what he dreamt about a bear and a bear had meat in its mouth. So was the bear with meat in its mouth. And the rabbis say this represents the Persians. The Persians loved to eat meat. They were carnivores. And this is what it said. Arise and devour much flesh. So the Persians was the next uh, exile. The Jews were under the Persians. When the Persians conquered Babylon, the Jews found themselves under the Persians who were compared to bears. And uh, the Persian exile lasted a couple of hundred years. We know the famous Purim story was under the Persians. The famous Purim story was under the Persians. Uh, before that, we had Babylon. Babylon destroyed the first temple. And we know we're going to start the three weeks this Sunday with a, with a fast on the 17th of Tammuz. And we're going to end with Tisha B'Av, where the first temple was destroyed. It was destroyed by the Babylonians. Babylonians. And the Babylonians were represented by the first beast, the lion with eagle wings. The lion with eagle wings. The, the uh, Persians, the second beast, were represented by a bear. It's interesting. The bear doesn't go that far. But it's interesting. The Persians had a massive kingdom. A kingdom probably hasn't been rivaled uh, for all the modern, uh, all the modern empires. This empire of the, of the Persians covered, you know, the Megiddo, it says 127 provinces. All the way, all the way from Africa to uh, India, all the way from Africa to India, 127 provinces, a massive empire, the Persian Empire, the Empire of the Bear. It's called the Empire of the Bear. The Persians were bad, but not as bad as the Babylonians. They never destroyed the temple. In fact, the Persians helped the Jews under uh, Esther's son, Daryavish, Darius II. He, they helped the Jews to rebuild and rebuild the second temple. So the Persians. Not as bad as the Babylonians. And you can see how the animal also was not as bad. It wasn't as fierce. It was a bear, not a lion. 
but despite that, the Persians conquered the world, but they were semi, semi good to the Jews. And eventually they, they helped the Jews rebuild the, the second temple. So Esther was Jewish and her son Darius II helped the Jews to rebuild the temple. He provided the, the funds, the power, and the protection of the empire. And then the third beast. After this, I watched and behold, another beast like a leopard with four birds' wings on its back. The beast had four heads and it was given dominion. Oh gosh, a beast with four heads. Can I have four heads of a beast? So the rabbi says like a leopard, this was Greece. Greece under Alexander the Great. Amazing, amazing. How did he conquer the whole Persian Empire? He conquered the whole known world that time, apart from Rome. The, he conquered the most of the world that time. Massive empire. Alexander's empire was greater than Persia because he added Greece to it. So when the Persians tried to conquer Greece, instead of which the Greeks conquered Persia. Amazing, amazing young man, 32 years old, I think he was when he, when he died, conquered the whole world practically. And that's why it's called like a leopard. It was so fast. The advance was so fast. He was like a leopard. He's in Daniel's vision. He's, he's like a leopard with four birds' wings on its back. Massive. So it's a leopard with wings going even faster than a leopard. It can take off. The, uh, per, the uh, Greeks conquered the world in a couple of years. Imagine. Within a span of maybe four or five years, he had conquered the known world practically. Alexander the Great. Amazing, amazing. And we have a beautiful story, which we, we will talk about in Hanukkah time. The story of Alexander conquering Israel. Obviously, there was no fight. The Jews did not did not fight against Alexander. He conquered Israel without a fight. He walks in, and who comes to greet him? Shimon HaTzadik, the great Shimon HaTzadik, the chief, the, the high priest. He greets him with all the priests dressed in their priestly robes. And Alexander the Great says, gets off his horse and bows down to Shimon HaTzadik. He bows down to Shimon the Righteous, Simon the Righteous, and they, they, they're bewildered. They say, look, you're the king of the world and you're bowing down to this Jew. He says, yes, he says, every night before a major war, I see this person's face and he blesses me that I'm going to win the war the next day. And uh, he's like an angel. He blesses me all the time to win the wars and I win the war. So that's why I bow down to him. So anyway, he says, Alexander the Great wanted to put his shape, his idol in the temple and he Shimon Tzadik takes him to the temple, makes him take off his shoes, wears beautiful socks, because you're not allowed to go into the Beit HaMikdash with shoes, with leather, leather shoes. And, he, and Alexander the Great says, where, where are all the statues? Where are all the idols? And Shimon Tzadik explains, we believe in an invisible God with no idols. And therefore, uh, so there goes, uh, but you know what? We're not going to put an idol with you on the temple, but we will name our children after you. We're going to name our children after you. So that was Alexander. He is like the, he was the third beast the, with four birds' wings on its back. The beast had four heads. So why four heads? So it says the uh, Mitsuda David says when Alexander's empire fell apart after he died. He died very fast. He died of sickness and malaria. Other opinions. I'm not going to go into them. But when he died, his uh, empire split into four parts. Hence the four heads on this leopard. And then behold the fourth beast. Okay. So the first beast was the uh, lion with the wings, eagle wings. The second beast, which, is, which said Babylon, the second beast was like a bear eating meat that we said was like the Persians. And the third beast was like a leopard with wings 
four heads and four wings. We said that was Alexander the Great, the Greeks, who conquered the known world at that time, apart from Rome. And the fourth beast, look what it says about the fourth beast. And behold, the fourth beast, exceedingly terrifying, awesome, and strong. Now, this is interesting, because this beast is not compared to anything alive at that time. It was, it was like a beast that Daniel had never seen before. He couldn't compare it to any known object, any known animal. And it's awesome, terrifying. He could not compare it. It's like really a nightmare. He's seen a nightmare, a massive beast with no comparison at that time. No comparison to anything at that time. This is worse than any Hollywood movie. This is worse than any Hollywood movie. Sees this beast and it had immense iron teeth. Terrifying, awesome and strong. It was devouring and crumbling and trampling with its feet what remained was different from all the beasts that preceded it, and it had 10 horns. So let me say that, uh, David, say 10 horns, because there's going to be 10 different kings who are going to come out of this empire. It's going to be a massive empire. And this is, represents Rome. This represents Rome. The fourth beast represents Rome, a massive empire with many Caesars, and one after the other, at least 10. And uh, as I was contemplating these horns, these 10 horns, behold, another horn. A small horn came up among them, and three of the previous horns were uprooted before it. There were eyes like human eyes in this horn, and a mouth speaking hearty words. So this is like the final uh, part of the Roman Empire, speaking haughty words. Probably this is the Nazis. I don't know who they were. These are the Nazis. This is towards the end of the Roman Empire right now. We're living at the end of Rome. This is the Roman Empire, the Western civilization is the remnants of the Roman Empire. They have the Roman civilization going through them. Um, it's interesting uh, that uh, these are the descendants, it says, the spiritual descendants of Esau, Edom. Edom, the Roman Empire, was the spiritual descendants of Esau. And it's interesting because Esau, you spell it the English way, E-S-A-U, is the same letters as E-U and U-S-A. If you can take E-U and U-S-A, you get Esau. Esau, but the rabbis say that Western civilization, the descendants of Romans, were Roman civilization, Roman civilization are the descendants of Esau, Edom. And that's okay. So what is this little horn? The little horn that comes up, it's interesting because Masuda David says this is referring to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites will also have an empire. You see today, Muhammad created a whole empire. That's a small horn. And they spoke haughty words. Yeah, we'll throw the Jews in the sea. Good luck, we're still here. They spoke haughty words. And then, now we come to this massive prophecy, this amazing prophecy at the end of days. I watched as thrones were set up. So I watched as thrones were set up. Okay, this is the Mitzudat David is explaining this prophecy. Mitzudat David is a commentary on Nach. And I watched as thrones were set up. So this last horn, this small horn, are the Ishmaelites, according to Mitzudat David. Ishmaelites, Muhammad and his cohorts. Um, interesting today, the, the clash of civilizations between the Christian civilization and uh, Islamic civilization. 1.5 billion versus approximately 1.5 billion people out of 7 billion people in the world. The two biggest religions by far are Christianity and Islam. And here we are, little Jewish people, little Tindy, we got 14 million people in the world, the Jews, 14 million compared to 3 billion Christians and Muslims. It's, it's crazy. Here we are, everyone's talking about us. 
you know, I heard a beautiful story once. This is uh, this was given by uh, one of the rabbis of Asia Torah when he gave his discovery seminar in Ashul. And he says, you know, there's a Chinese gentleman who moved to New York and he was trying to learn English very well. Uh, so uh, he had a neighbor, a Jewish neighbor, and he asked the Jewish neighbor to help him to help him learn English. So the Jewish neighbor advised him to read the, the front page of the New York Times every day and come back with all the hard words he didn't understand. Um, that was in the good old days where you could rely on the New York Times. I don't know if there was a time you could rely on the New York Times for unbiased news. Today, it's a very biased anti-Israel newspaper, tremendously anti-Israel. I do not advocate New York Times at all. No one should, should buy, don't spend money on New York Times. Read it for free, but don't spend money on it. Don't support New York Times. We don't support them. They are totally anti-Israel, anti-Semitic paper. It's a totally anti-Semitic paper, as far as I'm concerned. Anyway, let's not go back to that. Anyway, there was a Chinese gentleman who moved to America. His neighbor was a rabbi. A rabbi, please teach me English. Help me with my English. I read the New York Times every day. The front page, and uh, if you have any hard words, I'll explain it to you later on. So the, the Chinese gentleman comes back a week later. He has all the hard words. The rabbi explains them to him. And then he asks, he says, tell me, he says, rabbi, he says, I've heard of Russia. I've heard of China. I've heard of America. They're always on the front pages of New York Times every day. But what is this country, Israel? I've never heard of Israel. I've never heard of Israel before. So uh, the rabbi says, let, let me take you to a world map. He takes him to the world map on his wall. So you see over here, he says, yeah, this is Russia. This is China. This is America. He says, but where's Israel? So the rabbi says, look on the map and show me where you think it would be. So the, so the Chinese, Chinaman, he points to Canada. He said, well, Russia is very big. America is very big. And China's very big, must be a, Israel to be on the front page of the New York Times every day, must be a massive country. So it must be over here. He points to Canada. The rabbi says, no, he says, look, look over here. See the Mediterranean Sea? He says, yeah, I see the Mediterranean Sea, but I don't see Israel. Small little country over there. The name is in the sea. It's Israel in the sea. There's no room for Israel to be put on the country. So it's, a, it's in the sea itself. Imagine. Seeing the name Israel in the sea. Imagine, it's a, such a tiny country. Here we are. Um, 1.5 billion Christians, 1.5 nearly billion Muslims, and here are little Jews, 14 million Jews, this tiny little country which is always in the news. Everyone's talking about us. Everyone hates us. The United Nations passing these uh, resolutions about us. And here we come to this massive prophecy, this beautiful prophecy, end of days. You have these, this beast, which is the Roman Empire, taking over Israel. The ten horns, and this small horn comes along. We've said is the Islam, and it takes over. It knocks off three horns. It conquers territory in the in the Roman Empire, and it talks with haughty words. And then the final crescendo of this prophecy: I watched as thrones were set up. This is a wild prophecy. I watched as thrones were set up. This is Daniel talking, the prophet Daniel. I watched as thrones were set up, and. Uh, the one of ancient days sat. No, the one of ancient days sat. This is a very dangerous thing to tell people because God has no image, but it's a prophecy. A prophecy comes with images, and the prophet's job is to interpret the images. So the ancient one, the one of ancient days sat, his garment was white as snow. The hair of his head was like clean wool. His throne was of fiery flames. It's wheels blazing fire. Obviously, it's imagery. It's prophetic imagery. There is no shape of God. We have no form and no shape. However, it's prophetic imagery to this 
uh, creation, the, the, the commentary that Surat David says is talking about the Shekhinah, which is the God's presence in the world, the Shekhinah's presence. And uh, whatever we can see, his garments were white as snow, the hair of his head like clean wool. His throne was of fiery flames, its wheels blazing fire. A stream of fire was flowing forth from before him. A thousand thousands were serving him and myriad myriads were standing before him. The judgment was set and the books were opened. It's like a final court case. This is what the rabbis call Yom Hadin, the day of judgment where the whole world will be judged. All the nations of the world will be judged, each one according to their actions. Were they good? Were they good? Were they bad? How they treat the Jewish people? How they not treat the Jewish people? This is the day of judgment, which according to our tradition is Yom Hadin, Hagadol Vehanora. A great day of judgment, which is fearsome, awesome. God is going to uh, judge all the human beings. And I saw that after this, because of the sound of the haughty words which the horns spoke, look what happens next. I watched until the beast was slain, its body was destroyed and consigned to a flame of fire. So this is the judgment, the final judgment day where the nations of the world are being judged. And this last beast was judged and burnt, consumed to fire. That's the end of the empire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, and yet an extension of life was given them until a season and a time. And now we come to the final part of the prophecy of Daniel, chapter 7 of Daniel. I watched in night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a man came. Now this is the vision of the Mashiach, now, even though it says one like a man, our Jewish tradition says Mashiach will be a human being, um, not the son of God, but a son of another human being. It's going to be a direct line of kings going back all the way to King David. So it's got to be the Davidic line through the male line, not through the female line, male line of kings, a human being. He will come with the clouds of heaven. So the rabbis translate, what do you mean clouds of heaven? He will come in miraculous ways. That's the prophecy of Daniel. We talked about the prophecy of Zechariah last week. And we said, according to Zechariah, the, the Mashiach will come on a mule, uh, very slowly plodding along. But Daniel's prophecy is the Mashiach will come in the clouds. He'll come with massive miracles. So the rabbis say there's a contradiction between two prophecies. The prophecy of Zechariah, the Mashiach on a mule, and the prophecy of Daniel come with, with the, the clouds. And the answer that if the Jews are worthy, the Mashiach will come with tremendous miracles. Greater miracles than the coming out of Egypt. Amazing. Greater miracles. Halavai, we should see this in our day. But what we're seeing right now is Mashiach coming on a mule in a very steady, plodding fashion, um, in, a, in a normal fashion, not in a, in a fantastic, miraculous fashion. But Daniel is prophesying that the Mashiach will come in an amazing uh, miraculous fashion. He'll come in the clouds of heaven. He will come up to the one of ancient days and they have brought him before him. He was given dominion, honor, and kingship so that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion would be an everlasting dominion that would never pass and his kingship would never be destroyed. So we have, this is the prophecy, the messianic prophecy that we would have a Mashiach Mashiach will rule the whole world. What does that mean, rule the whole world? We're going to talk about it in much more detail. Um, hopefully we'll finish today. Otherwise, next uh, section will be next week. But 
this is the prophecy of Daniel. This is one of the greatest prophecies of the Messiah. Um, and we're going to see that the Messiah, the prophecies of the Messiah we talked about last week, start in the Pumash, in the five books of Moses, um, and they continue right through the prophets. So, as for me, Daniel, he said, my spirit became uneasy, and the visions of my head bewildered me. I approached one of the standing ones, and I asked him for truth concerning all this. So Daniel did not know what these prophecies meant. He just saw these four beasts. He didn't understand where they were coming from, what they, what they mean. So he spoke to me. This, he asked one of the people over there in the vision. And he spoke to me, making the interpretation of the matters known to me. These immense beasts, which are four, four kingdoms will arise from the earth. And then Hashem will take the kingship from them and give it to the Mashiach. Okay. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast. It was exceedingly terrifying. With teeth of iron and claws of copper, it devoured and crumbled and trampled what remained with its feet. And about the ten horns that went on its head, and the other one that came up as three fell before it. That horn had eyes and a mouth, speaking haughty words. And I watched as that horn waged war with the holy ones, and was prevailing upon them until the one of ancient days came, and the holy supreme ones were granted justice. And the time came and the Holy Ones inherited the kingship. This is what other people translate as the war of Gog and Magog, the final war where evil against good and that Hashem will obviously be victorious and the kingdom will be given to Mashiach. And this fourth beast is a continuation. There will be a fourth kingdom on the earth which will be different from all the other kingdoms. It will, this, is the Roman, this is the Roman Empire. It will devour the entire earth and trample and crumble it. And the ten horns from the kingdom, ten kings will arise. And another will rise after these, we said, is the, is the Yishmaelites, who will be different from the former ones, and he will humble three kings. He will speak words against the supreme one, and he will exhaust the holy supreme ones. That's us, that's the Jews. And he will plan to alter the seasons and the law, and they will be given over into his hand until a time comes. But judgment will be set, and they will take away his dominion, and the kingship, the dominion, the grandeur of the kingdom, under all the heavens will be given to the holy supreme nation. That's us, the Jewish people. Its kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. And all the rulers will come and serve and obey. This is amazing prophecy. Book of Daniel, chapter 7. And uh, that's this a beautiful description of the messianic era. Um, the, all the events, amazing. The four different kingdoms which are going to conquer the world and uh, trouble the Jews, and eventually uh, the Mashiach will arise. There'll be a, this war of holy against unholy, and the Mashiach will arise, and all the nations will be subservient to the Mashiach. They'll recognize uh, the Mashiach as the supreme king of the world. Okay, so we are moving on to the Rambam. And the Rambam has, of all the different authorities, the Rambam is the only one who talks about Mashiach in a Siyadi era in a very clear, concise way. And first he talks about the seven Noahide laws. You know, now it's interesting. I talked about this once when I talked about Rambam, is how all the Jewish codes of law start off talking about the intricacies of Jewish law. They don't they, they talk about the minutiae of Jewish law, but they're not talking about the big picture, right? The Rambam talks about everything, he talks about the big picture and the minutiae. He starts, you know, some you know, they're saying in English. You cannot see the forest for the trees. And a lot of people are just, they look at the minutiae, but they cannot see the big picture. A lot of people today, and 
right through the centuries who would keep all the minutiae, but they didn't see what the big picture, where is all this leading to? Where are all the Jewish laws leading to? So the Rambam starts off his code of, of work, the Mishnah Torah, with the idea of the major principles, the philosophic principles of the Torah, is Sodeh HaTorah. And, he cont- and then he talks about all the minutiae, all the different laws, about Shabbat, Yom Tov, Tefillin, Tefillah, all these different laws. And then he ends off with the Messianic era, which is like a, the grandiose plan for the whole world. It's not just a Jewish plan, it's a plan for the whole world. It's Tikkun Olam, as we say at the end of Aleinu Shabbat, Letaken Olam Mahuchadai. A whole goal, the whole goal, the whole thrust of Judaism is Letaken Olam Mahuchadai, to fix the whole world under the kingship of God, which will be realized in the Messianic era. So let's talk a bit about the Messianic era. This is the Rambam at the end of the whole Rambam, at the end of his Mishneh Torah, at the end of uh, the book of Mishpatim, which is the book of laws, and at the end of the book of Shoftim, the book of Judges, which is, this is 10th chapter of the book of Judges. If you have a Rambam at home, look it up. You can look it up on the internet. You can download the Rambam on the internet. There's many different sites. Um, it's great. You can get a hold of anything you want for free today. And the Rambam, this is Rambam in the, in the and the laws of kings. You can look this up very easily. Laws of kings, chapter 10. But you got to know this chapter was censored by the Christians. People don't realize how much of Jewish books were censored by the Christians. The, the Catholics. The Catholics in the Middle Ages confiscated all the Jewish manuscripts before they were published. And they went through them. And they crossed off a lot of stuff. The censors, anything that talked about their religion, their God, land. They took it out. They, cr- they crossed it out. So I have, I have a section of the Rambam which is added to the Rambam from manuscripts. You know, there's, they found the, the Rambam, the manuscripts of the Rambam in the Cairo Geniza. And one of the Sassoon family bought a lot of these manuscripts and he sold them to different uh, you know, museums around the world. Um, the museum in Oxford and Cambridge and uh, Baruch Hashem, the Jewish uh, Israel Museum has it in Jerusalem. They have a massive library of all the manuscripts that you get hold of, and you can actually go on their website and look at these manuscripts, the original manuscripts, amazing, written by hand. We have the Rambam's own handwriting. We have his corrections on the manuscripts. So we know today what the Christians try to get rid of, and we have from ancient manuscripts, also the Yemenite manuscripts of the Rambam, which were not censored. They're living in a Muslim country. Their manuscripts are not censored. So I'm going to give you the uncensored version this is the uncensored version of the 10th chapter of the Rambam in the Laws of Kings, which you can look up on the internet and download. Make sure it is the uncensored version. Ben, so we are talking about the Laws of Kings, the 10th chapter, and let's move on. The 10th chapter talks about the seven Noahide laws. The 10th chapter of the Book of Kings, the Laws of Kings, talks about the seven Noahide laws, which will be enforced when... The Mashiach comes. These are laws, universal laws, seven Noahide laws, universal laws. Just want to go through them very quickly. Number one is to believe in God, to believe in God, to believe in one God. Number one is to believe in one God, not to kill, right? Not to kill, not to murder people, not to murder people, not to steal, not to commit adultery, not to curse God, not to curse God to have a system of law courts and not to eat a limb from a living animal. There's a seven Noahide laws, very simple laws. Most societies have 
if not all of them, most of them. So let's just recap. Number one is to believe in one God. This is a universal law. Every single human being on the planet will have to believe in one God. I don't know how they'll have to believe. Well, God will know their thoughts. So God knows everyone's thoughts. Every single person has to be a monotheist. We have to believe in one God. Number two, no adultery, no immorality. This is something which is a big test in today's day and age. No immorality, no adultery, no incest. No other kinds of immorality. Number three, no murder. Number four, no stealing, no stealing. Number five, not to curse God. Not to curse God. Number six, every single uh, human being has to have a system of law and order. Every society must have a system of law and order, which is equitable and moral, a moral code, equitable moral code. And number seven is not to eat a limb. From a living animal. First, the animal's got to be killed before it can be, pieces can be taken off and eaten. Okay, so those are the seven Noachide laws. We're moving on to chapter 11 of the laws of kings and the Rambam. This is something which you should download and get hold of, keep a copy in your house. This is something that every Jew must be knowledgeable about because it talks about the end of time, talks about the Mashiach. Hamelech HaMashiach, the Messianic king. The Rambam says, so we said the word Mashiach means anointed, the anointed king, the anointed one or the descendant of the anointed one, the descendant of King David through the, the patrilineal descent. Atid la'amod la'zir machut David Yoshna is going to come stand up and bring back the kingship of David just like it was in the old times. It will be just like it was in the first commonwealth. So number one, let's, let's go through these conditions. These are the conditions for Mashiach to be Mashiach. A person comes along and says, you know what? I'm a Mashiach. I am the Messiah. You know, it's called the Jerusalem Syndrome. Um, in the good old days where there were tremendous amounts of tourists in Israel, there were certain tourists who would go crazy. It's called the Jerusalem Syndrome, where these tourists would claim to be Messianic. I actually saw a few of them when I was younger in, in Jerusalem walking down around the streets of Jerusalem, especially on Friday night, they're walking around, I am the Mashiach, I am Messiah, I am the Messiah. They go to the Kotel, I am the Messiah. So what does a Messiah have to do to prove that he is the Messiah? That's the question. How do I know who is the Messiah? Today, we don't know, but how do we know who is the Messiah? Every Tom, Dick, and Harry comes along and says, I am the Messiah, now what? So number one is he's got to be a direct descendant of King David, direct descendant of King David through the, the patrilineal line through his father's line. So father, son, 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 going back all the way to King David. That's number one. Number two, Bone Hamikdash. He has to build the Beit Hamikdash, which is our temple, which was destroyed the first time by the Babylonians and the second time by the Romans. The job of the Mashiach is to rebuild the temple. So you know what the guy says to me? He says, I am Mashiach. I said, prove it. What do you mean prove it? Go rebuild the temple. Well, if you can do that without being knocked off, uh, that's a very big sign. <laughs> Number three, this is a big one. Yisrael will gather in all the dispersed of Jews around the world. This is number three. Number one, descendant of King David. Number two, rebuild the temple. Number three, bring all the Jews back to Israel. You try doing that. We're still very unsuccessful. I think maybe nearly half of the Jews are back in Israel, but there's another half to go. There's holdouts. The other half of Jews all over the world in the diaspora. 
also the Mashiach would have to bring them back to Israel. Number four, he's going to bring back the original Torah laws and, uh, and all the laws that previously applied, which are in the Torah, will apply to Israel at that time. And whoever does not believe in him or a person does not wait for him to come, this is very important, it's a fundamental of our faith, that even though he tarries, we will not despair. We are waiting for Mashiach every single day. We are waiting for Mashiach to come. So the Rambam writes, he says, not only is a person doesn't wait for Mashiach, doesn't believe in the Mashiach's coming, denying the prophecy of the prophets, as we mentioned, all these different prophets in the last class, and today, Daniel, etc. He doesn't only deny the prophecy of all the other prophets, he also denies the prophecy of Moses, the the main prophet in Deuteronomy in Parsha Nitzavim, Moshe Rabbeinu gives the prophecy we talked about last week of I will scatter you in the four corners of the world, Hashem says, and I will gather you back. And that's what we're witnessing today. This prophecy is coming true. 3,300-year-old prophecy or 3,400-year-old prophecy is coming true at the front of our very eyes. Hashem will bring you back from your captivities. And he will have mercy on you and he will gather you back. And even if you are distant lands far away, Hashem will bring you back. All these prophecies are mentioned in the Torah of Moses. It's not just the prophecy of the other prophets, it's the prophecy of Moses himself that there will be a time at the end of the days, all the Jews will be scattered in the four corners of the world, and Hashem will bring us back. We were seeing this in front of our very eyes. Hopefully, we'll see a completion to this prophecy. And then we'll see the throne of Mashiach, Hashem, an anointed one. And all the nations of the world recognize him as a supreme leader of the world, Bezrat Hashem. I don't think it will be a physical, in terms of physical might, it will be in terms of respect. It'll be the, everyone will come to respect Mashiach. That's what it means. It means he won't have to fight to take over the world. And we have no, we're going to see the Rambam says we have no interest in taking over the world. Judaism is not a religion which is a worldwide, we're going to take over the world, we want everyone to believe in Judaism. No, we want seven Noahide laws. As we said, simple seven laws for mankind. Believe in God. No, no adultery, immorality, no murder, no robbery, no cursing God. A system of law and order and not to eat limbs from a living animal, which is probably disgusting anyway. Okay. So he says all these things are mentioned directly in the Torah. This, this prophecy of bringing us back from all our exiles mentioned explicitly in the Torah. And even in this week's parasha, Balak, where it's the prophecy of Balaam, as it talks about the star, he, the Darach Kochav Yaakov, a star will come from Jacob, which the rabbi explained is, that's why he was called Bar Kochva. We all know about the Bar Kochva revolt in the year, I think it's 132, CE, 132 CE, it was a bar kochva revolt against the Romans. A lot of people believed, even including Rabbi Akiva, that bar kochva was going to be the Messiah. Bar kochva fought the Romans very successfully for a couple of years, and uh, bar kochva started rebuilding the third temple. Unfortunately, the Romans killed him, had him killed. Well, actually, they found out a snake killed him. The Romans said, we can't kill him. It was miraculous. Hashem himself involved in the killing of Bar Kokhba, he died from a snake bite, a poisonous snake. Anyway, so that's based on this week's parasha of Balak, with Bilan's prophecy, Darach Kochav Be Yaakov. They called Bar Kokhba 
the son of a star based on the prophecy of Bilam, the star will come out of Jacob. However, unfortunately, he wasn't the Messiah. How do we know he wasn't the Messiah? Because he died or he was killed before he could fulfill the prophecies of rebuilding the temple, bringing back all the Jewish people and bringing back all the Torah laws. He never fulfilled these prophecies. So the Mashiach is the last descendants of David who will come and save the Jewish people at the end of time. So this is another job of Mashiach is to save the Jewish people. If the Mashiach's coming causes more pogroms, causes more anti-Semitism, that's not the Mashiach. So that's a very important idea we have to know. And the job of the Mashiach is to save, number one, to save the Jewish people from their enemies. That's number one. If the Mashiach's coming causes more troubles for the Jews in the world, that is one of the signs the person is not a Mashiach, for sure not a Mashiach. So what do we have so far? Rebuild the temple, bring back all the Jewish people, bring back the laws of the Torah, and save the Jews from all their troubles. Very important. This is the prediction of, of Bilam in, in this week's parasha, Balak. David. A, a, a star will rise from Jacob. This is former King David. Become Shevet Israel, and as and the scepter will come out of Israel. That's the Mashiach. That's how the Rambam explains Bilam's prophecy. The star is King David. The scepter is Messiah. Mashiach. Okay. It keeps on going. He brings another proof from the Torah by the laws that mentioned last week of the cities of refuge. That at the end of time, there'll be another three cities of refuge, which hasn't happened yet, because they will be in the on the others uh, when the Mashiach comes. So again, we have a prediction for Mashiach. The Torah says, Mashiach comes, there'll be another three cities of refuge. There were six, and there'll be three more added altogether, nine cities of refuge. And this has not happened yet, so Rambam says, so it must be a prediction for the Messianic era. Okay, now we come to a very fundamental, a beautiful section of the Rambam on the laws of the Messiah in chapter 11 of the, King, the book of, of the laws of kings. He says, don't even think that the Mashiach needs to do wonders and miracles and make new things happen in the world or revive the dead and all these other kinds of wonders and miracles. How do we know the Mashiach does not have to do any wonders and miracles to be proven to be the Mashiach? Because King Bar Kokhba was thought by Rabbi Kiva to, do, to be the Mashiach, even though he didn't really do any wonders and miracles. Rabbi Kiva made a tremendous mistake, terrible mistake. He thought that Bar Kokhba was the Mashiach, and in the end was forced to admit when Bar Kokhba was killed that Bar Kokhba was not the Mashiach. But in the end, it caused tremendous havoc. The Romans came and they destroyed the Jews completely from the land. They changed the name of Israel to Palestine. Uh, the original name was Judah or Israel, and they changed it to Palestinian, not because there were Palestinians at that time. There were no Palestinians at that time. The Romans changed, look at history. Romans changed the name of Judea to Palestinian, and uh, they did not want any remnant of Jews in Israel. They, they put uh, rocks all over the place. They sowed the, the land with salt so nothing would grow. And they destroyed all the big cities. They destroyed Jerusalem. They destroyed the Bedemikdash, what was left. And they plowed it over like a field. They plowed over the site of the temple like a field. And nevertheless, even Bar Kokhba comes along, does no miracles, 
Rabbi Kiva makes this tremendous mistake and says he's Mashiach. We see from there, the Ramah learns from there at least, that Mashiach does not have to do any prophecies. He does not have to do anything. So miracles, no spectacular miracles. And Kivan Shneirag, as soon as he was killed, for sure he was not Mashiach. So if Mashiach is killed by anyone, you cannot kill the Mashiach. You cannot kill the Mashiach. God's anointed one cannot be killed. God's anointed, I just want to repeat that. If the Mashiach Messiah is killed, that is the sign he is not Mashiach. He cannot, no one can kill the Mashiach. So if the Mashiach is killed, he is not Mashiach. And even though they made a mistake, they thought Barakov was a Mashiach. As soon as he died, they knew he was not Mashiach. He was not Messiah. Kibbutz Shinerag, Lahem Sheino. They knew that he was not the Mashiach. Now, they didn't even ask any signs and wonders and miracles. We see Mashiach will not have to do any signs and miracles. What does he have to do? Let's repeat. Number one, he has to build a temple. Rebuild the temple. Number two, he's got to be a descendant of King David. Number three, he's got to bring back all the Jews back to Israel. Number four, he's got to bring back the Jewish religion to back to what it was. Number five is he's going to spread the word of God in the world. Number six is he's not going to be killed. Um, by any of the enemies. He's not going to be able to be killed. Okay. Number six is we said he does not have to do any wonders and miracles. Okay. Number seven. He says he's got to be someone who's learned in the Torah and doing mitzvot. Mashiach has to be learned in the Torah. He's got to be a Talmud Hakam. He's got to be someone learned in the Torah, learning Torah and performing the mitzvot like King David. King David, who don't realize King David was, he had Ruach HaKodesh. He wrote the book of Psalms. You can't write a book of Psalms if you have, don't have Ruach HaKodesh. He was a holy individual, even though he had, we all have flaws. He was a holy individual on the whole, a holy individual. And David Melech wrote the book of Psalms. He had Ruach HaKodesh. He was also a great rabbi. The rabbis tell us he would, he would be on the Sanhedrin. He, he could be on the Sanhedrin. He would always discuss his, the laws with his uh, fellow rabbis, Tofel. Uh, all the other great rabbis at that time. And so he was learning Torah continuously and doing mitzvot. So the Mashiach, the other condition for Mashiach is a person who's very learned in the Torah and performing mitzvot like David, like King David. Uh, according to the Torah, the written Torah and the oral Torah. This is the Rambam putting it over there. We need a Mashiach who believes in both the written Torah and the oral Torah, not just the five books of Moses, not just the 24 books of Tanakh, of the Bible, but also the Mishnah and the Talmud and the Sifra, the Sifri and all the Midrashim. And he's going to strengthen Judaism and persuade all the Jews. He's going to do a lot of outreach. Joseph Mashiach is going to do a lot of outreach to raise the Jewish level of knowledge of Judaism. Jews who are knowledgeable in Judaism. Most Jews today will know who the apostles are, but they won't know the 12 tribes. You ask them who the 12 tribes are, they'll draw a blank. You ask them who the 12 apostles are, they'll say, oh, I'll tell you what the apostles. You ask them who the mother of J.C. was, they'll tell you. You ask them who the mother of Moses was, who is he? the mother of Moses? Who is the mother of Moses? So interesting, there's a lot of ignorance today. We need to educate the Jewish masses. And that is one of the jobs, and that's the list conditions for Mashiach, is he will educate the Jews, do a lot of outreach, Jewish outreach and education. Um, so we're adding conditions, and he will fight. He will also be a general. Like, he's going to have a hard job. He's going to be a rabbi. He's going to be a general. He's going to be outreach. He's going to be a builder. He's going to do everything. He's a one-man show. Just like you know, the last one we had who could do all these things, 
Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was everything in one. David Amelech was also probably, King David also probably was everything in one. He was a general, a king, a rabbi, a teacher, Ruach HaKodesh, he had the Holy Spirit, uh, all in one. But you find people like that who do everything. They're educated in every subject, every science, and in military science as well as Torah science. So he says, if he does, he fights all the wars of God. It's a sign that he is the Mashiach. And he was successful and he built the temple and he gathered all the Jews together. For sure, he is the Mashiach. Well, no one has done these things so far. So these are, this is a very important list of things for Mashiach to do. And then the next thing, which is even harder, and he will fix the whole world to serve God together. Imagine um, a lot of the prophecies of the, of the pro- later prophets. The temple will not just be for Jews. It will be a house of prayer for all the nations of the world. All the nations of the world will say, let us go to Jerusalem. Let us go to the house of God to pray to the one and only God. That's really the vision of Judaism for the world. Serve God together. Then there will be one language among the nations. To call together the name of God and serve him with one shoulder. Everyone in the world is going to speak with one language. It's not talking about one language per se. It's talking about a language of service of God. Everyone in the world is going to recognize the unity of Hashem and serve Hashem and come to the holy mountain to Beit HaMikdash and pray over there. So that is basically the Rambam. I'm going to, part three is going to be the rest of the Rambam. And hopefully we'll go through these conditions again in more detail. An amazing prediction. Rahman talks about Christianity and Islam. This was censored. And I'm going to bring back this material. Please stay tuned for part three next week. Same time, same channel. Have a great week. Shabbat Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.